Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. I'm your co-host, Matthew Wurwood, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Cindy Burnett. So this is our debrief episode. And as a reminder, with our debrief episodes, we kind of reflect on five interviews that have taken place in our show and offer three insights that we've taken away from those discussions. And this debrief is the first five episodes or first five interviews, shall I say, of season five. So Cindy, why don't you give us a recap of who we've interviewed in season five so far? So we kicked off season five with Edward Clapp from Project Zero. And then we had Vincent Andrews, who is a humanities instructor. And then we had Teresa Lawrence, who is a professor at the University of Buffalo, who works with administrators in project management and creative problem solving. Then we had our sister. And Matt, we never mentioned that Tanya and Teresa were actually, are actually sisters, but Tanya Knudsen, who works as an educator and brings creative thinking skills into her foreign language classes and her ELA classes. And then we wrapped up part one of season five with Jonathan Feinberg, who is the director at the PhD program in creativity at the University of Arts. So those were our first five episodes. So let's talk about our three big insights. So my first one came from Edward Clapp. And Matt, I have to tell you, after that episode aired, I had a bunch of my friends contact me, my creativity pals, and say, "Um, Cindy, I listened to Edward Clapp, and I can't believe some of the things he said because they're so different from what I teach and sort of uh, preach. So one of the things that he said that sort of blew my mind was he said, When I get up in front of people, I say that people are not creative, but ideas are creative. And my friend said to me, you know, Cindy, I don't understand why you didn't push back on him. And I said to my friends, and there were multiple of them, (laughs) I said, you know, I really try to stay open in these interviews and I really try to give space for new perspectives because I think that's one of the goals of this podcast is to really provide new perspectives. But in my chair where I was sitting and listening, all I could think of was, I don't believe that at all. I believe that people are born with creativity, different levels of creativity. I believe that it can be squashed out of us. I believe it can be nurtured in in each person. Um, So I am a firm believer in the creative person. And I think it is a yes and. So I think creative people can help produce creative ideas. I don't think ideas can be created without people. I mean, this is something that I've been playing with. And I, I will say, Matt, and I don't know about you, but after we had that interview with Edward Clapp, it felt like someone took my brain, shook it, and then put it down. And it was sort of the same, but there were things that had shifted. Like, you know, you're driving with a backseat full of groceries and everything's still there, but it's all in like 
a disarray. And I was really struggling through some of the concepts that he presented, but there was so much that I loved about his episode. And I loved the fact that, you know, he talked about the biography of an idea and not focusing on, you know, the eminent creator, but instead focusing on how this idea came to life. I love that concept. But do I believe that people are creative and that we can nurture creativity in people? And absolutely. What did you think? Well, I, 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 first of all, I know we had a lot of back and forth with Marco Polo and I love the, the analogy of kind of like, you know, I'm picturing all the groceries in the back of the car and yes, you may have kind of cracked some eggs open. There might be a little bit of a mess, but most of the groceries remain undamaged. You just need to kind of repackage them in, into the bag. And you know what? Maybe sometimes they don't, don't necessarily go back in, in the same bag. And I think, I think my hope is actually in some ways that that um, some of our listeners have also kind of gone through that process because isn't that kind of a, a wonderful outcome of, of our show and that particular episode for you to be challenged on your current perspective or view of a situation and then kind of wrestle with kind of like modifying or slightly tweaking that or possibly reaffirming your view. You know, what? one of my takeaways actually wasn't a takeaway. It was actually a question for you and I've written it down. I said, no one is creative, not even children. The thing that is creative is ideas. And I wrote, how do you feel about that, Cindy? Because yes, I, I also, you know, went away thinking about um, that statement that Edward Clapp made. And I think... You know, I think there's like a, a context, right, which is very relevant to what he said. In, at the University of Connecticut, in one of my classes, you know, I have all of my students go about generating uh, problems that they want to work on. And I, I do refer to those problems as ideas because I think when we go about identifying problems, they kind of represent an idea, right, for, for a project. But there's a point to which they all come together as, as a team and they select one of the ideas from their classmates. And sometimes for the first few weeks, they're still referencing, well, we're working on Billy's idea. Well, because it was Billy's idea. And I think there's that part in the process where we kind of recognize that it is an idea that has become into being and it doesn't necessarily represent anyone and it's not necessarily owned by anyone. So I think that within that idea of focusing on the ideas, particularly within something like design thinking, I think it's very relevant. For me, though, you know, part of that discussion focused on social cultural theories of, of creativity. And that was the piece that I'm, I'm still wrestling with. And, and you could maybe say that, that I've kind of gone through that experience of, of uh, you know, having all of the, the um, food at the back of the car kind of like thrown around a little bit as we've gone over the speed bump is, you know, if I take the 5A framework by, by Vlad Glavinu and we go through the actor, well, we have the actor, the individual to which participates in a sequence of actions. Those actions represent the physical actions that we might embody in a space, but then also, you know, the thought behind those actions. We have the artifacts that we create through those actions, right, which is the outcome. And traditionally within creativity research, we would see an idea as, as part of an outcome. We have the audience in that environment to which the, the idea or the outcome interacts with. And then we have the affordances, which are the objects in the space. And what what we're kind of reminded within social cultural frameworks is that that we're really encouraged to think about how all these different units of analysis interact together within the kind of construct of creativity. And so for me, what I was wrestling with is this idea of kind of situating some of uh, Edward Clapp's work within social cultural theory while also picking out what I would say is one element, which is the artifact. And so I'm still wrestling with that piece. I haven't kind of like concluded that. How does that relate to what we understand with social cultural theory? 
Thanks, Matt. I think this conversation could go on and on because I have a lot more thoughts. But in an effort to keep this down to 30 minutes, tell me what your second key insight was. Well, my second key insight came from Teresa Lawrence, and I think it's a relatively quick insight. So as a reminder, Teresa Lawrence applies creative problem solving within educational leadership and was so articulate in how she goes about implementing that process in a school environment. And she also spoke elaborately on engaging faculty within the school in that process and making sure that the creative problem-solving process allows them to have a voice and a choice within that process. And they as faculty can choose to engage in that process or choose not to engage in that process. And as our discussion went on, we started to talk about the situations when teachers are kind of invited to share feedback, invited to share their opinions, but then they go away and they say, I'm not sure I was really listened to. I'm not sure that I was really heard. And then sure enough, the outcomes of that process produce something that is so far away from from where they hoped it would go that it kind of reaffirms that perception that, that they wasn't listened to. And so I brought that up because there, of course, there are situations within educational leadership where you're privy to so much more information than perhaps an individual teacher has, or you know constraints that, that another teacher doesn't know. And that leads to the outcome that is perceived as being drastically different. But what Teresa said in response to my question about those types of events was that the educational administrators or leaders engaging in this process need to be very explicit at the beginning. They need to let the faculty know, are you asking for weigh-in or are you asking for ownership in this process? And I went away and I actually kind of like tested that idea out on a few teachers that, were, that, I, that I'm working with at the moment. And they said, oh, I, I love that. If, if I went into a meeting and, I, and it was very clear to me whether or not I was just being asked weigh-in or being asked to engage in ownership in this problem, then I would feel a lot better in, in how I'm kind of interacting with that situation in a given moment. But I think it's a good takeaway for educational administrators in general. Make it really clear that you know, you're asking for weigh-in or you're asking for ownership. And that way you're not vulnerable to any negative interpretations if you take an idea in a very different direction to where it was perhaps hoped it would go within the faculty. Mm, great insight, Matt. And my second key takeaway also had to do with Teresa Lawrence's episode because I was thinking a lot about when I go and do creative problem-solving workshops with educators. And the first thing they say to me is, this is great. Now, are administrators doing this? Are they learning this as well? And typically, the administrators are not learning about creative problem-solving. And I think it's great. I loved hearing about the work that Teresa is doing with administrators and getting everyone involved in solving the complex problems that are happening in education right now. And I think it's such an interesting way to look at some of the challenges and the wicked problems that so many you know, schools are facing right now. And I just wish that we could get more administrators on board with learning creative problem solving and particularly creative problem solving the model that was originally designed by Alex Osborne and Sid Parnes because it really provides some strategic tools and some ways in which we can look at problems in unique ways. And it, and it gives a set path on how to do that. So I really wish we could get more administrators trained in creative problem solving and really get the buy-in of all of the constituents in their districts. So Cindy, what was your third takeaway? 
So my third takeaway has to do with Jonathan Feinberg, who runs the PhD program in creativity at the University of Arts in Philadelphia. And what really struck me, I mean, there were a few things that really struck me. One is that he didn't really have a definition and kept things very fuzzy and ambiguous. And he was doing that deliberately. And I didn't realize it because I said to him, are you trying to pin this down someplace? And he said, that's that's exactly what we're trying to do is provoke this kind of thinking, which I, I really appreciated. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with ambiguity. Fortunately, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable, especially when it comes to intellectual debates and things like that, because I really try to stay open, which is, I think is the core skill of being a creative person. So what really struck me was when I asked him at the end, is this a doctorate? in creativity where you're learning about the field of creativity, or are you just looking at research questions in a creative way? And he said, we're looking at research questions in a different way. Now, for those of you who who are listening, who don't know this, Matt actually is a former student of mine, and, and he was a student of mine at the Center for Applied Imagination at SUNY Buffalo State, where I taught deliberate creativity for 20 years. And it was a Master of Science in Creativity and Change Leadership, where we actually studied the discipline of creativity. So when he was talking about a PhD in creativity, I had assumed they were looking at the discipline of creativity, but he was actually looking at research in a creative way. So I'm not sure if it should be called a doctorate of creativity, but I'm open to it. I I think I can make a case either way. What do you think? I think we're going to continue to have our own private debrief session on this conversation (laughs) via Marco Bolo because unfortunately I'm at a stage where, because we've only just really recorded this interview and I'm, I'm still processing it. I think there's really a marketing piece, right? It's, it's, we know that creativity as a word is is somewhat subjective. And so there are going to be people, I think, who are coming from a program that, that like the Center for Applied Imagination and have been, you know, thinking about creativity as creativity studies and a discipline. And therefore, if you've got it titled as representing a program, you're expecting to be learning about creativity. The, the other side of it that kind of in some ways speaks to what we're trying to promote is that creativity is relevant to all disciplines. So from that perspective, why not have a program called creativity that unites creativity within multiple disciplines? So that's where I've got right now is two perspectives. You know, I understand your perspective. I'm thinking about that perspective. My gut feeling is another 10, 20 other perspectives out there. So I haven't got anything more to offer right now, but I'm sure I will do a Marco Polo after this episode. My third insight was from uh, Dr. Feinberg as well. And, you know, it was a really fascinating conversation we got into because like you, I noted the fact that he he didn't kind of address that question that we asked at the very beginning. And as a reminder, the question we asked was, how do you define creativity and how's that definition how do you apply that definition to to the arts? Or no, 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 what's the relationship between that definition and the arts? And he didn't answer that question. And so I kind of I like went through the discussion trying to look for those connections. And it kind of expanded my thinking about going back to this concept of STEAM and, and how does art kind of like interact within other disciplines. And I found some, some of the things that we touched on is that there's certain – practices to which or or dare I say actions to which the individual partakes in where they go about creating and making things particularly within the fine arts and we spoke about critique 
And we're tasked with looking at a single artifact from multiple perspectives, trying to see different things from within that same perspective. We're trying to get an understanding of what the individual creator wanted to express within that work of art. But then also we're being tasked to try and think about how we're thinking and feeling in response to that artifact. And so I think that there is a lot of connections between, you know, that practice that is so prominent within the arts and how that practice might actually be applicable to other disciplines as well. And there were, there were other kind of areas that we, we touched on as well. We, we spoke just more broadly about multiple disciplines. Uh, we spoke a lot more about kind of like critiquing in groups as well. And so my big takeaway was, at least how I've seen it, is sometimes when we're talking about STEAM, it's sometimes about taking a scientist and then wanting to work with an artist, but then the focus is more about kind of like the artifact and, and visual ways to communicate information, for example. But actually what I got in that conversation was how the process, the artistic process might also serve some of these more traditional disciplines as well and perhaps open up people within those disciplines to think about things in different ways, to see things from multiple perspectives as opposed to just in their discipline or rather in in a domain-specific perspective. So that was my my takeaway. And again, I, I need to kind of keep going away and thinking about it. But it certainly, I think there's a lot there. If you're interested in STEAM, I would encourage you to go and check out the, the interview with Dr. Feinberg. I agree, Matt. So to kick off season five, part two, we have a double espresso episode with Patricia Alves Oliveira. It's unbelievable. So excited to to see everything that she's going to accomplish in her career. And I think some kind of like key words. Let, let's, let's throw out some key words in preparation. So we've got robotics. Impact studies. We've got creative learning. And we've got everything else associated with how technology might be utilized in the future as a tool to facilitate creative thinking in children. And just also just the relationship to how children might interact with robots and artificial intelligence. We even to a certain extent get into conversations about, well, what is the difference between artificial intelligence and, and robotics? And there is a difference, but we, we, we're able to kind of like really kind of like dis- distinguish between the two, even though there's an obvious relationship between the two as well. So it's just... It's just an absolutely awesome episode that connects so much with what Cindy and I have been talking about in regard to the future creative. And I will say, Matt, that we were like two kids in a candy store listening to her talk. We were just totally enamored. And I should say two kids at a New Kids on the Block concert back in the 1980s. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was awesome. it, It was amazing. And she is so insightful and gracious and lovely and I just can't wait to share those two episodes with the world. Yeah, because we should, if, if we haven't already said that, we because of, of how wonderful it was, it's a double espresso as well. So um, we can go off season five with a double espresso, which means you do get two interviews for one. So that wraps up this debrief episode of the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. Here's what we would love for you to do. So what we're going to ask you to do is, it's a little different than what we've asked before. We would like you to send us an email at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. And in that email, we want you to share your favorite episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. Because we, we've kind of got our favorite episodes, but we would love to hear your favorite episodes. And what we're going to do is, once we've kind of got a sense of your favorite episodes, it's going to help us plan for 2023. So without further ado, my name is Dr. Matthew Worwood. 
and my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.